My name is Justin. This is Mysterious Circumstances. And you're listening to Doc Holliday, Part 2. He's a killer. He's intelligent. He's refined. He's a drunk. I mean, he combines so many contrary elements, he continues to fascinate. And I think a lot of the fascination today is because this was a guy who really didn't belong there. And yet, there he was. Not only there he was, he was sickly and shouldn't have been there in the first place, and yet he was holding his own among some real desperate characters. What makes him fascinating to us is this remarkable congruence in his personality of both elegance and decadence. Perhaps the final ironic contradiction is that in Dying Young, Doc Holliday gained for himself immortality. A game like Pharaoh gives men the power to stop time. That is the appeal in my observation. When the bet is placed, a moment is carved away from the past and the future. In that enchanted moment, anything is possible. A man's debts and regrets and limitations disappear. He is buying the chance to imagine, for one moment at a time, that the next card ideal will make him rich. John Henry Holiday. Okay, so first and foremost in this episode, I'm going to address not so much some questions, but kind of some questions and stuff that people wanted me to go more in depth on, uh, on some stuff that I had previously mentioned in part one. Uh, the first one being, why did Doc want to become a dentist? Well, Doc was always known to be like a very nervous kid. He was a nervous dude. His hands would like shake, okay? So... When his mom would teach him piano when he was younger, she used to put pennies on the back of his hands to steady his hands and keep them level and calm. And this is part of the reason he was such a talented piano player. And, you know, that being said, he realized that when he was doing something with his hands that he was concentrating on, that was the only time that he was, like, really calm and his hands wouldn't shake. And above that, he had also previously mentioned to um, Wyatt Earp at one point in time that working on teeth was really the only thing that kept his hands still after he got out of playing piano. So that was one of the reasons that he did pursue dentistry because he knew that if he was concentrating on using his hands, then his hands would stay still. And that's also a lot, there's a lot of speculation as to why he was so fast with a six shooter is because of that he just had those busy nervous hands another question i got that kind of goes into the timeline i got asked about the saloon that he had built because i really didn't touch on that in part one and then i got asked to elaborate more on the shooting of mike gordon as well and here's how that goes down those actually kind of tie into each other all right so the Santa Fe Company, which was like a, a railroad back then, they built tracks into Las Vegas, New Mexico, and they actually bypassed the town by about a mile or so. Well, there's a new town built near the tracks, and as soon as that new town was built, it was the end of the tracks, so it's one of those places where gambling and prostitution is just everywhere. And on July 19th, 1879, Holiday and a guy named John Joshua Webb, who was actually a former lawman, but he had turned into an outlaw, and they were seated in a saloon that, that Doc had built. And how this all goes down is there was a former U.S. Army scout by the name of Mike Gordon, who I did mention in part one. Now he goes into this saloon. And he tries to persuade one of the, one of the dancers, one of the saloon girls, who actually was a former girlfriend of his, of, uh, Mike's. Uh, he tries to go in there and persuade her to leave town. You know, he's like, Hey, you know, quit, quit what you're doing now. Just leave town with me. You know, blah, blah, blah. Well, she ends up refusing. 
So Mike Gordon gets pissed and he goes outside and he pulls out his guns and he just starts firing bullets into this fucking building. And pretty much nobody really knows what happens after that because a few hours later, uh, Gordon was found shot outside. So, like I had said, some people do attribute the shooting to Holiday, you know, Bat Masterson being one of those people. There's no actual evidence that supports that claim that Holiday killed Gordon. There was no evidence ever found. Well, what happens is the next day, Holiday pays a carpenter $372.50 to build a little building, uh, basically to house Doc Holiday's saloon and John Joshua Webb is going to be his partner. Now, the reason that Mike Gordon was not shot in Doc Holliday's saloon, like a lot of people say happened, is because when Mike Gordon was shot, the saloon hadn't actually been built yet. So even if he would have shot Gordon, Doc Holliday wouldn't have stuck around town. He wouldn't have built a fucking saloon right there in town. He would have left. Now, while he was in town, though, in Las Vegas for that time period, it should be known that he was fined twice for keeping a gambling table. He was, he was also charged again for carrying a deadly weapon. So those were three charges in a very short amount of time. So, you know, there's a little bit of elaboration on that right there. Now, with jumping back into this timeline, we're actually going to answer another one of the questions that I had received about elaborating more on Bat Masterson and Doc's uh, relationship. You know, it was a relationship of necessity. What it was was Bat Masterson was a lawman with Wyatt Earp. He respected Wyatt Earp, so he tolerated Doc. And, you know, if Doc could be utilized to his advantage, then you know, they would work together, and Doc was the same way with Bat Masterson, because he was a lawman, he could help him get out of trouble whenever needed, um, the thing about it was, Bat Masterson had so much respect for Wyatt Earp, and Wyatt Earp credited Doc with saving his life, so there was, like, a mutual respect, now, Doc and Bat, honestly, couldn't really tolerate, you know, they tolerated each other, they weren't really friends, you know, they were more associates, but it was a relationship of necessity more than anything else. Now, before Doc had gone back to Las Vegas, while he was in Dodge City, um, Holiday, he joined a team which was formed by Bat Masterson, who was a deputy U.S. Marshal at the time. What was going on was Bat Masterson had be, been asked to be, like, basically start a militia to prevent an, an outbreak of you know, a small little war between the Atchison, Topeka, and Santa Fe Railroad, which was known as the ATSF, or just referred to as the Santa Fe, which I just did earlier, and the other railroad was the Denver and Rio Grande Western Railroad, also known as DNRGW. Both these railroad companies had hired people to basically fight a little war for them. Now, they were fighting to be the first railroad to claim the right of way across the Royal Gorge. The Royal Gorge was one of very few natural routes, you know, through the Rockies that crossed over the Continental Divide. Now, both of these uh, two factions at the railroad... They were trying to be the first to provide this rail access to the boomtown of Leadville, Colorado, which Doc had spent time in before. The Royal Gorge was a bottleneck along the Arkansas, so it was too narrow for two railroads to pass through, and um, there was no other access to this area. So Doc was there for about two and a half months, all right, and he's basically fighting like a little war among, you know, Bat Masterson and a little militia that he had formed to basically fight this other railroad. So there's actually an intervention. There's a federal intervention which prompted the so-called what is referred to as the quote-unquote Treaty of Boston. And they ended up ending the fight, the, the little fighting scenario that was going on there. The Denver and Rio Grande Western Railroad. Now, they ended up completing the line first and what they did was they leased it for the santa fe railroad to use so they got the money for building it and then they're like okay santa fe railroad well you guys can run your trains on it but you're gonna fucking pay us the thing about that was 
was Doc Holliday and Bat Masterson and their little group of guys, they controlled what was called the Roundhouse, which is where all the locomotives were stored and where they were all serviced and fixed and stuff like that. And what the DNRGW Railroad did was they paid a bribe to Bat Masterson of $10,000 to basically take over that that roundhouse. So they took the bribe and um, Doc Holliday took his share and then ended up going back to Las Vegas. So that's how he had a bunch of money when he got back to Las Vegas. So hopefully that clarifies some of the questions you guys had with getting more in depth. I know the whole railroad thing was confusing. It was like a whole fucking thing that was going on that I really didn't. I mean, I got in depth on it, but that was literally, that could be like a whole fucking podcast in itself. You know what I'm saying? All right. So what's going on is it's October 18th, 1879. We're in Las Vegas, New Mexico. And Wyatt Earp shows up into town and he starts telling Doc about news of a boom going on in a place called Tombstone, Arizona Territory. Now, Holiday and Kate were just settling into their life in Las Vegas you know, they were kind of hesitant to leave, but Holiday and Kate uh, ended up joining Wyatt and his common-law wife, uh, Maddie Blaylock, as well as Jim Earp, which was one of Wyatt's brothers, and his wife and stepdaughter, and they ended up traveling the next day to uh, Prescott, Arizona. Now, while they're in the Arizona Territory in Prescott, Doc Holiday has just this crazy fucking run of good luck on the poker tables. So... You know, Kate's there with them, and they're doing good, and like I had mentioned in part one, they had a very tumultuous relationship. They were always fighting, like, you know, Kate would get drunk and, like, very fucking abusive, and Doc Holliday wasn't a big guy, so, you know, he would just kind of take it and get pissed about it or whatever, but at this point in time, Doc Holliday is said to have been drinking two quarts of whiskey a day, along with laudanum, to help uh, cure his pains of tuberculosis. So they're actually like getting along at this point. All right. So they end up hanging out in Prescott for a long time because everything's going pretty good right now. Now in September of 1880, Holiday is just has a fucking pocket full of all these gamblers money. And he decides to finally go to Tombstone. Holiday gets, um, some living quarters for him and Kate. And they're sandwiched in between a funeral parlor and the Soma Winery. And this is on the north side of Allen Street and 6th Street. Now, Kate, what she does, she realizes an opportunity here. So, as soon as they get into Tombstone, uh, she goes into business and she purchased a large tent, you know, and she rounded up a few girls and a few barrels of bad cheap whiskey and she ended up operating what is referred to as a quote-unquote sporting house. And I'm pretty sure we all understand what the fuck that was, okay? Wyatt Earp had already been in Tombstone like the previous December. So Holiday, you know, finally joins them in Tombstone. You know, so there are some accounts out there uh, that report that the Earps sent for Holiday for assistance with uh, dealing with an outlaw faction known as the Cowboys. So when Doc gets there, he very quickly starts getting all tangled up in the local politics. There's a lot of violence going on. And, you know, this is some of the shit that leads up to the uh, the gunfight at the OK Corral. And what, what the Cowboys were, were the Cowboys were mainly the Clanton and McLowry families and they were pretty much ranchers on the outskirts of Tombstone. And, you know, the way that they were operating, which, you know, we'll get to a little bit in the timeline, was they were pretty much stealing cattle from across the Mexican border and bringing them back here, you know, and then selling them, you know, having them butchered. They were rustlers, dude. They were, they were fucking thieves. They were outlaws. But Tombstone pretty much tolerated them, okay? It was, it was like a 50-50 thing there. Like either, you know, the townspeople were cool with the cowboys and, you know, they would help them out, run with them. And that does, um, you know, go along with, with Sheriff John Behan, who was the Cochise County Sheriff at the time. But there was also another half of the town that, that like did not like the lawlessness. So 
the Cowboys, they fucking hated that the Earp brothers and Doc Holliday were in town. And basically it was because these dudes, you know, the Cowboys knew that the Earps and Holiday weren't going to take any shit, that they were actually going to stand up to him and fight back. The, the Cowboys, like I said, mainly consisted of a Newton Clanton, which he was known as Old Man Clanton, and he had three sons named Finn, Ike, and Billy. Now, the McLowry brothers were Frank and Tom. Another cowboy was Curly Bill Brocious. And then, of course, Johnny Ringo. Now, Johnny Ringo, for those of you who have seen the movie Tombstone, that's a pretty accurate portrayal of Johnny Ringo. Like, he was a fucking psychopath. He was one of those guys in the gang that his own gang members were fucking scared to death of. All right? Um, it is said there's a story of him, um, literally shooting a guy's jaw off because he refused to have a drink with him. Like this dude was legit a psychopath. These are the kind of guys that, that the Earps and Doc Holliday are dealing with. And the Cowboys made no qualms about, about, you know, saying, Hey, we don't want these guys here. Like get them the hell out of town. But the thing about it was, is the Cochise County Sheriff, John Behan, um, usually always sided with the Cowboys. And it's usually, it's very, it's suggested that, you know, either John Behan was in cahoots with them, like working with them, or he was just straight up scared to death of them. So he was absolutely no help to the townspeople whatsoever. So while they're in Tombstone, Arizona, Doc ends up becoming a regular at a place called the Oriental Saloon. Um, now, Wyatt Earp does own a little part of the Oriental Saloon, um, so Doc is in there all the time playing poker, you know, playing Pharaoh, dealing Pharaoh, because as we learned from part one, Doc Holliday is very good with cards, he's very good with numbers, so he's in there trying to make some money. Now, the main owner of the Oriental Saloon was a guy named Milt Joyce. Milt Joyce was not a big fan of the Earps. Um, he did not like Doc Holliday. But um, pretty much, you know, um, there's a lot of fucking tensions. There is a lot of tension going on in Tombstone at this point in time. So on October 10th, 1880, this uh, local asshole named Johnny Tyler... Um, he starts causing trouble in the, in the saloon. Now there's a lot of speculation on whether or not he was just a total asshole in general, which he was, but it is also stated, I did read in a few other places that some of the local, um, bar owners did like kind of, uh, you know, pay him money to go into the Oriental and kind of shake shit up a little bit. What happens on October 10th is Wyatt ends up kicking his ass out. Um, of there and doc is extremely happy about this like i'm not gonna lie doc doc's a little bit of an instigator because he's already on borrowed time as it is and he does not care about anything pretty much so he's you know always instigating shit so what happens is after he gets out johnny tyler goes and gets his pistol and comes back to the saloon to confront doc now, Doc ends up drawing his gun, and he challenges Tyler to a fight right there where they stood. And when I talk about a fight, I'm not talking about a fist fight. It was more like a pull your gun, I'm going to fucking kill you before you kill me type of thing. That's what a fight was back then. So he challenged Tyler to a fight like right there where they stood. And Tyler backed down because, like I had said, Doc had this reputation, and not that many people wanted to mess with them so when doc was all adamant about you know draw your pistol man let's do this right now johnny tyler kind of backed down a little bit um now both men are pretty angry and they were actually both disarmed before any shots were fired now johnny tyler ends up leaving now the owner of the oriental like i'd said milt joyce he did not like holiday or the herbs at all but what he did was he started getting on doc he started instigating shit with doc holiday so doc gets pissed and he's already drunk and joyce ends up kicking holiday out of the saloon well when they broke up the fight they took doc and johnny tyler's guns so doc demands his gun back okay and milt joyce pretty much says no i'm not giving you your gun back like get the hell out of here doc leaves 
And he goes and gets a double action revolver and he comes back to the saloon. And there's a little bit of a fight that happens, you know. Joyce sees Doc walk in the door and he's got a pistol in his hand. So Joyce pulls out a revolver himself. Halliday just starts pulling the trigger, man. Just starts shooting, okay? Supposedly he... One of two things happen. Either he shoots the gun out of Joyce's hand and puts a bullet through the palm of his hand, or he shoots his thumb off. Either way, I did read several accounts that say that Doc Holliday did shoot the gun out of his hand, and I did read in more than one place that the bullet did go through the palm of his hand because he almost last lost his hand because of it. And now while that happens, um, one of the bartenders, a guy by the last name of Parker, he goes over and he tries to disarm Doc. And while this struggle is going on, Doc uh, ends up shooting him in the foot, blows his big toe off. And during the, the fight, Doc drops his pistol. Well, Joyce runs over, picks up the pistol... He fires, he ended up firing one shot that missed Doc, but he, when he had the pistol, he, he pistol whipped him, hit him over the head with it. Um, by about that time, a law enforcement officer by the last name of Bennett, um, pretty much appeared and into the building. He separated the men. Now, the Epitaph, which was a local newspaper there in Tombstone, reported that, uh, quote, Holiday was picked up and placed in a chair. It being generally thought from his bloody appearance that he was severely, if not fatally, hurt. So, I mean, when Milt Joyce cracked Doc Holliday over the head with his pistol, we're not sure how many times. I mean, it, it messed him up good. So he's sitting in a chair just bleeding, you know, and, you know, already on top of being drunk and stuff like that, you know, it, it hurt him pretty bad. But I will say this on a side note. Um, the Tombstone Nuggets account, which the Tombstone Nugget was, was very negatively biased, okay, towards Doc and, uh, the Earp brothers. Now, they said that Doc shot at Joyce first, who was 10 feet away at the time, uh, and then Joyce approached Doc in order to pistol whip him. Now, this really doesn't seem very likely. It says it is doubtful that Joyce approached an armed Doc Holliday who was already firing firing at him from a distance of 10 feet. So it makes sense that ducking for cover would um, probably have made more sense, and that along with maybe returning fire rather than attempting to pistol whip Doc. And they said that it is more likely that Doc's wild shots were fired when Joyce first leapt upon him from the bar. Um, Milt Joyce's attack probably was provoked, now, Karen Holiday Tanner, who wrote the book, uh, Doc Holiday, A Family Affair, I did rely, uh, on that book for a lot of research. She went ahead and said, by Doc's reappearance with the gun, and also perhaps not surprisingly, by something Doc said, you know, the Nugget claimed that upon returning to the saloon, Doc made a remark to Joyce that if he didn't give him his gun back, you know, he would not appear well in print, which basically says, you know, your name wouldn't look good in the paper after I kill you, man. You know, now there's there's no doubt about the fa fact that that Doc Holliday was hurt really bad and he was bleeding from, you know, the one or two or three blows that Joyce had dealt him. But, you know, that little quote about Doc Holliday coming back in and basically telling Mel Joyce, hey, man. You know, give me my give me my gun back because your name ain't going to look good in obituary, dude. You know, I thought that was a pretty cool little fact. And that was something that Karen Holiday Tanner did did go on to say. So I thought that was pretty awesome. Now, on October 11th, 1880, Doc, believe it or not, is brought up on charges. Uh, because of this shooting, a warrant is issued for his arrest on a charge of assault with a deadly weapon with intent to kill. Now, the very next day, on October 12th, 1880, um, the Daily Nugget, which was the local paper there in Tombstone, did report that, quote, Holiday appeared in court in the custody of Town Marshal Fred White. None of the prosecution witnesses appeared in court. The defendant offered a plea of guilty to assault and battery. It was accepted, and the charge of assault with a deadly weapon was dismissed. Holiday was fined $20 and the cost of $11.25, end quote. So, 
You know, Doc Holliday again, you know, gets out of some charges because literally um, none of these witnesses ever appeared in court on behalf of the pr- prosecution to charge Doc Holliday. Now, there is a lot of speculation that, you know, maybe Wyatt Earp had a lot to do with that and kind of talking them out of it. You know, so there is that. Now, things are going pretty shitty for Doc Holliday right now. He has that that he's dealing with right now, and his relationship with Big Nose Kate is going to shit. Now, they did live together, um, but Doc was really concentrating on his drinking and gambling, and Kate pretty much was concentrating on her drinking and, you know, her other duties as a saloon woman. So, you know, they were doing a lot of fighting, And around this time, Kate is starting to be very loud, very abusive when she's drunk. So Doc finally decides that he's had enough and he throws her ass out, okay? Now, on October 28th, um, Tombstone Town Marshal, a guy by the name of Fred White, was trying to break up a group of just some late night dudes getting rowdy. You know, they were some of the cowboys and pretty much what they're doing is they're out on Allen Street and Tombstone and they're fucking howling and shooting at the moon, okay? So he walks over and he, he tries to confiscate the pistol of Curly Bill Brocious. Now he ended up getting shot in the abdomen. Now Wyatt Earp goes over and he does what they call you know, he went over and buffaloed Curly Bill Brocious. Now, what that means is basically he just went over and intimidated the shit out of him. And he ended up knocking him unconscious and he arrested him. Now, a lot of years later, Wyatt ended up telling his biographer um, that he thought Brocious was still armed at the time. And had not noticed that Brocious's, um pistol was already on the ground. So that's why he kind of took it to the next level and ended up knocking his ass out. The pistol, when it was picked up. It contained one fired off cartridge and it had five live rounds in it. Now, Curly Bill ended up waiving a preliminary hearing so he and his case could be transferred to the Tucson District Court because he thought they would get more fair of a trial there. Now, White ended up dying two days later because of the shooting and in return, uh, Curly Bill Brocious ended up getting charged with murder. Now, on December 27th, 1880, in court, Wyatt Earp himself did testify that he thought the shooting was accidental. Um, it was also demonstrated that uh, Curly Bill's pistol could have been fired from the half-cock position. That, combined with the fact that Fred White um, left a statement before he died, he didn't die immediately, and he actually said himself that the shooting was not intentional, that it was an accident. So the judge ended up releasing Curly Bill Brocious. But basically, Curly Bill kind of had a little bit resentment towards Wyatt Earp for beating the shit out of him when he was arresting him, because Wyatt Earp pretty much did. I mean, he he kicked his ass pretty good. So Curly Bill just kind of had that kind of had that resentment about him ever since then. So on March 15th, 1881, this is where we start getting into some pretty cool stuff, there were four masked men that attempted a holdup of the Kinnear and Company stage near Contention City. Now, these four masked robbers killed uh, the stage driver, which was Bud Philpot, um, another guy named Peter Rorig, who was a passenger. Now, Doc was not involved he was later accused by the Cowboys of being in, involved. It was proven later on that the Cowboys themselves were actually involved or connected somewhat to this robbery. So they're basically taking an opportunity to pass this on to Doc and to get him into trouble because nobody liked Doc. You know what I'm saying? So according to Wyatt Earp, Doc was in town at the Alhambra Saloon at the time of the robbery was reported and had been in town since late afternoon. Now, the stage was robbed at 10 p.m., and this was actually while Doc was dealing or playing Pharaoh. But a friend of Doc's who um, who was a respectable jeweler, who used to be a respectable jeweler, I should say, by the name of Leonard, is named as one of the bandits. That's how the Cowboys kind of got Doc's name going on in there. 
Now, Doc's involvement came pretty much from uh, that former jeweler by the last name of Leonard and the cowboy faction and Sheriff Behan himself. Now, they're basically trying to cover up their own involvement in the robbery. So, all the residents in this town, you know, they even thought the members of the cowboy gang, you know, Ike Clanton, Frank Stilwell, Curly Bill dude named Pete Spencer, were involved in the holdup. So literally, like, the whole town is like, you know, the Cowboys are the ones who did it, and Sheriff Behan's probably involved too. Like, why the fuck are they trying to blame Doc Holliday for this shit? So, you know, the Cowboy faction ended up accusing Holliday of being one of the holdup men, and Milt Joyce, the owner of the Oriental, um, he was actually county supervisor as well. Now, him and Sheriff John Behan, what they did was they found Kate on one of her drunken binges, okay? She's pissed off because Doc Holliday had thrown her ass out, all right? So she's sitting there just talking all this shit about Doc Holliday and this and that. So Joyce and Behan pretty much see this as an opportunity, right? So they go over and they buy her all the whiskey that she can drink. And they start sympathizing with her, you know, like, oh man, he's such a horrible guy. You know, I can't believe he did that to you. You're such a good woman. And what they start doing is start suggesting on how she can even the score with Doc Holliday. Now, what happens is they eventually persuade her to sign an affidavit implicating Doc Holliday in this holdup. And they also persuade her to say that he was the guy who pulled the trigger on the gun that killed Bud Philpot. So, Justice of the Peace, a guy named by the name of Wells Spicer, um, he issues a warrant for Holiday's arrest, and he's using Big Nose Kate's affidavit for this. Now, while Kate is, is sobering up, what the Earps are doing is they start rounding up witnesses who could testify Doc's whereabouts on the night uh, that the holdup occurred. And this is very, very important to the OK Corral thing. OK, now listen, what Wyatt Earp does is he secretly goes to Ike Clanton and offers him money. Now, what what he's doing is he's trying to find out the whereabouts of the remaining stage robber. Um, and basically, if he gets this information, he can clear Doc's name and get him out of this trouble. Not only that, but Wyatt's planning on, you know, running for sheriff as well. So this would help his political ambitions and he'll get his best friend out of trouble. Now, the reason we know this, this is fact, because Wyatt actually admitted this um, in a later newspaper interview. He had these two motives right here. So when Kate actually sobered up, um, she realized what she had done and she went ahead and she insisted that, you know, she had signed a paper while drinking with Behan and Joyce, um, but that she couldn't remember what the paper was. When all these witnesses came forward, witnesses to, um, you know, Holiday's whereabouts at the time of the robbery, and then Kate, you know, saying, hey, I don't, I was so fucking drunk, like, these two guys got me to sign this affidavit, I don't even know what it was, you know, and basically it was this big plot run by the cowboy faction, Holiday ends up getting released, um, the district attorney labeled the charges ridiculous, and he pretty much threw them out. Now, Doc at this time is like seriously pissed at Kate, all right? And he gives her some money and he per pretty much puts her on a stagecoach anywhere the fuck out of town. He's like, just go. Like, you, I'm not even dealing with this shit anymore. So she gets out of town. And basically, at this point, as far as he's concerned, his debt to her is even because. You know, she did break him out of the house arrest situation in Fort Griffin by, you know, setting that fucking fire and pretty much, you know, had the horses waiting when they went to Dodge City and stuff. And, you know, on his, you know, side of the argument, he's like, we're even, okay? You know, you got me out of jail, but you literally almost got me charged with murder. Here's some money. Get the fuck out of town. We're done. She supposedly had made like two or three trips back to Tombstone to visit Doc because she does say that she was a witness to the gunfight at the OK Corral. Uh, we're not 100% sure if she actually was or not, 
but we do know that they did share a room at a, a boarding house by the name of Mrs. Fly's boarding house. So there's a very good chance that she was back into town by the time the shooting at the OK Corral did happen. Now, even before, you know, the, the stagecoach was robbed, because, dude, these stagecoaches were robbed pretty often by the cowboys, all right? All these businessmen and, like, the higher-ups in Tombstone, they're pretty much sick of, like, all this violence going on with the cowboys. And along with that, the state of Arizona is starting to get pissed at the cowboys because they keep crossing the Mexican border and coming back, and they're rustling cattle and mules. They did not want a border war with Mexico because you have the Mexican authorities saying, hey, if you guys don't fucking do something about this, we're going to. So, you know, there's even more tension right there. Now, along with that, Wyatt wanted to win the upcoming sheriff's election. All right. He had been running against, uh, you know, Sheriff Behan, you know, who'd actually lost his last election. Okay. Now, Behan is described as corrupt. You know, more often than not, you know, Behan only enforced the law when it pretty much suited him. He was that kind of cop. He was seriously corrupt. Now, like I said, even before the OK Corral, Wyatt figured that enforcing the law against the Cowboys, which Behan would never really do, would likely win him that upcoming sheriff's election. So Wyatt, you know, wanted the town of Tombstone to see him as a tough, a fair kind of guy with, with morals and stuff like that. So, you know, he would pretty much be the perfect man for sheriff. So he's sitting here like, you know, he's promoting his image in the local press, you know, and he has business connections in town. So they're supporting him. And, you know, more often than not, you know, in a place like Tombstone at this point in time, they're more often, you know, they're going to elect a hero, you know, which Behan obviously was not. Behan was kind of a piece of shit. Okay. So, you know, Wyatt's whole thing was cleaning up the town Behan knew that he was gunning for his job, and, you know, they both had that animosity for each, for each other. Doc and Wyatt, being such good friends, they were fiercely loyal to each other, okay? Doc's reputation and kind of shady past, you know, as well as the fact that he had taken part in the stagecoach robbery, kind of meant that Doc was he was literally a, a political liability for Wyatt, but Wyatt honestly did not care. He still kept him close. He still always had his back. He still defended him. That was the cool thing about it. Like to Wyatt, having Doc around to have his back in a fight was priceless. Um, they trusted each other and that's what it came down to in the end. So moving on to August 13th, 1881. All right, at this point in time, the border between New Mexico and Arizona is, there's a lot of tension there and some shit goes down, okay? Old Man Clanton, who technically at this time is the head of the Cowboys, he's driving a herd of cattle into Tombstone Market. Um, he's expected, you know, to have a quick sale, make a quick profit, be done with it. Well, what ends up happening is they made camp the first night, which was on August 12th. Um, most likely it was in Guadalupe Canyon, uh, which was about one mile south of the international border. Now with him were Dixie Lee Gray, Billy Lang, Bud Snow, Billy Byers, Harry Earnshaw, and Jim Crane. Now Crane was one of the four men who had attempted to rob the stagecoach near Contention City like five months earlier that they ended up trying to blame Doc for. So the other three men who had been involved were um, Harry Head, Billy Leonard, the former jeweler who was friends with Doc Holliday, and another guy named Luther King. Those were the four masked men who robbed that stagecoach near Contention City. Now, Luther King was arrested by Morgan Earp, and um, believe it or not, he had quote-unquote escaped from Sheriff Behan's jail. So, Head and Leonard had been killed by um, Ike and Bill, a guy named Bill Hazlitt, um, over in New Mexico Territory for that right there. Now, in the early morning of August 13th, the Clanton party was attacked by riflemen. 
um, Lang, Gray, Crane, Snow, and Old Man Clanton were all killed. Byers and Earnshaw were wounded, but they did escape, okay? The attackers were said to be Mexicans. Now, several historians believe that the Earp Federal Posse was involved in the deaths of these men, and that would have included Doc Holliday. Now, it should be stated that supposedly, according to some accounts, Doc Holliday in this altercation had been shot in the leg, and it was kind of suspicious because some historians say that he was, you know, lightly wounded and possibly walking with a cane, but there are other historians who totally disregard this fact, so it's hard to tell what exactly happened. Now, records show that Marshal Crawley Dake was ordered to send a posse down to the border to pretty much um, put to rest some of these disturbances caused by the cowboys. Now, Marshal Dake, um, he trusted Wyatt Earp and likely... It's more than likely Wyatt Earp was head of this posse, okay? Now, logically, the first place for his federal posse to search would have been the area, you know, where Arizona, New Mexico, Sonora, and Chihuahua, Mexico all meet. And it appears that they did, uh, they did indeed find the cowboys in Guadalupe Canyon or possibly Skeleton Canyon. And the posse must have been happy to see Jim Crane with them because, you know, Jim Crane was one of the, one of the guys who robbed the stagecoach. Now, the Mexican government was, they had a stance, you know, with the cowboy wrestling problem. It was pretty much either the Americans would have to stop the cowboys from coming across the border to steal, or the Mexicans were going to handle it themselves. So there may have been some Mexicans present in the canyon too, either working with the American lawman or in a, like a joint effort type thing, or they might have just been there like observing the American effort to take out the cowboys. But um, Doc Holliday and another Earp brother by the name of Warren were wounded at the border uh, gun battle and they did not appear in tombstone until they had recovered so you know there's there's that side of historians that say that so you know that would explain why holiday had a cane when the okay corral did happen and why warren erp actually did miss the gunfight at the okay corral now according to some other historians uh, it was the Mexican authorities, not the Earp Posse, who were involved in the shootout with the Cowboys, you know, who, like I said, they were known for stealing cattle across the border. So, you know, you have the other side saying, you know, the Earp Posse was working with the Mexican authorities. You know, we really are not sure. All we know is that the, the Earps were directly involved with investigating the stagecoach robbery. We do know that. All right, that is fact. So here's what happens on October 25th, 1881. Now, when we start getting into the OK Corral shootout, um, I'm just going to let you know right now, like there are so many varying eyewitness accounts. I literally had to take all these accounts. I had to put them all together. And then I kind of had to go through them and make sense of what happened. Now, when the OK Corral shootout does come, because that happened on October 26th, we're the day before, this is what leads up to it, all right? Um, you got to keep in mind that it's very fast-paced. This all happened, the OK Corral shootout happened in a matter of 30 seconds, all right? So there's a lot of stuff going on. So this is leading up, this is the day before, October 25th, 1881, Doc and Kate had pretty much by this time kind of rekindled their romance and they were in Tucson. Now, Ike Clanton pretty much spends the entire day in Tombstone just getting shit-faced drunk, alright? And he's going from saloon to saloon and he's threatening to kill the Earps and Doc Holliday. Basically telling every single person who would listen, I'm going to kill these guys. So... Big Nose Kate made a statement saying that um, her and Doc were in Tucson. Um, Doc was playing Pharaoh. Kate said, and I quote, I was standing behind him when Morgan Earp came and tapped Doc on the shoulder and said, quote, Doc, we want you in Tombstone tomorrow. Better come up this evening, end quote. Now, Doc claimed that uh, they 
you know, went back to their room and, quote, Doc left me at his room and went with Morgan at 10.30 p.m. that night, end quote. Now, that later that night, Doc gets into Tombstone, okay? Ike Clanton is kind of in panic mode, and why he's in panic mode is because of his involvement with selling out the Cowboys to the Earps, because, like I had mentioned, Earp had secretly made that deal with Ike Clanton to sell out the other Cowboys to basically clear Doc's name uh, with his involvement in the stagecoach robbery. So Ike's kind of in panic mode because he's scared that his actions are going to be discovered. When he sees Doc Holliday arrive into town, he's, he's pissed because he thinks that Wyatt had told him about their arrangement, about, um, you know, him and Wyatt's arrangement. So Ike accuses Wyatt of telling Doc about it. He was afraid that, that Doc Holliday might, you know, leak the story, you know, to the other cowboys or to the other people in town. So, you know, Wyatt tells Ike Clanton, he's like, listen, I didn't tell Doc anything about the payoff. I didn't tell him that I gave you money to sell out your friends, you know, because as you're going to come to find out, Ike Clanton's, he's a total piece of shit. He's only looking out for himself all the time. So Wyatt tells him, he's like, listen, dude, I didn't tell Doc anything about the payoff. So later that night, you know, Doc starts noticing, hey, why, why is he so fucking weird? Why is he being all nervous and panicky? So Wyatt actually tells Doc then, He's like, okay, here's the deal. Here's what happened. So, you know, Doc's spending the next few hours drinking, playing some cards. And about two hours later, um, you know, Doc and Morgan are pretty much verbally abusing the shit out of Ike Clanton. They're making fun of him. You know, they're calling him all kinds of names. Ike Clanton reaches his boiling point, okay? So at 1 a.m., Doc Holliday gets hungry and he goes to the Alhambra's eating counter to get some food, okay? And um, Doc and Ike have a confrontation. Now, during this confrontation, Doc is sitting there cursing at him, calling him a damned liar and a son of a bitch of a cowboy. You know, those are quoted because there's a lot of witnesses to this. Now... Clanton pretty much says that, you know, by selling information to Wyatt, he was really trying to lure, you know, the Earp posse into a trap, you know, so he's kind of covering his tracks. He's like, listen, the only reason I sold out members of my own gang is because I literally was trying to kill Wyatt Earp, which it probably wasn't true. You know, he was trying to save some face. So Doc Holliday gets even more pissed, okay? And he had been hearing about all the talk about Ike Clanton saying, hey, you know, Ike Clanton's running around town telling everybody, I'm going to kill the Europe's, I'm going to kill Doc Holliday as soon as I see them. So Doc Holliday walks up to him, okay, looks him straight in the face and, quote, I heard you're going to kill me, Ike. Get out your gun and commence, end quote. So Doc's standing there literally looking at Ike Clanton saying, I heard you're going to kill me, man. Pull out your gun and do it right now. That pretty much ended the cursing match. And Ike Clanton says, you know, hey, I'm unarmed. Okay, I have nothing to fight with. So Doc Holliday says, quote, go get healed. I'll wait. So he's basically telling Ike Clanton, go get a gun, dude. I'll wait for you. Come on back. So he's sitting there just kind of antagonizing him even further. And he tells Ike Clanton, that his big mouth is what caused his old man to be killed, and that Doc Holliday himself had had the pleasure of pulling the trigger and killing him, and he would take just as much enjoyment in doing the same to Ike. Okay, so Doc Holliday is known to, you know, kind of, you know, be an instigator, but there's still that speculation that there's a good possibility that Doc Holliday was the one who killed his fucking dad. So he's in this bar literally just looking this dude straight in the face like, I heard you're going to kill me, man. Pull out your gun and do it. And to piss Ike Clanton off even more, he tells him he was the one who killed his dad and he would enjoy just as much if he killed him too. So that's what's going on, okay? So Virgil Earp, who at this time is a U.S. Deputy Marshal, and Wyatt, who's an appointed and acting city marshal, 
by Virgil, and Morgan, who is also a sworn officer, they're all present during this confrontation. That's that's how we know it's so well documented. And yeah, I will say that, you know, um, Wyatt was known to speak in favor of Doc Holliday quite a bit, but Virgil Earp was one of the few that, one of the few Earp brothers that really didn't care for Doc. Like, Virgil Earp was known as, you know, a very fair guy. So a lot of what he says is is true, and he had no qualms about saying, hey, listen, I really didn't like the guy. He was best friends with two of my brothers. I really didn't care for him. You know, he was an all right guy. So when he says something, you know, we usually take it as fact, and all, all three of these guys said the same thing. So Virgil tells Doc and Ike that he would arrest both of them if they continued the argument. Well, Wyatt ends up convincing Doc to just go away. You know, he's like, just come on with me, man. Let's just go back to the room. And Wyatt later says, you know, you know, Doc was pretty fucking pissed. All right. But he says, you know, so was Ike. But Ike wasn't as easily led away by the Earps. Like they're trying to lead Ike away and he's still making threats, you know, the whole time. He he's, you know, talking about killing Doc for the rest of the night, you know, up until up until the early morning hours. OK, he's saying, quote, I promise to kill you when the others come to town. When basically he's saying, you know, when my other cowboys come to town, you guys are all dead. So, you know, Wyatt finally gets, you know. So Ike runs into Wyatt a little bit later after he, after he had dropped Doc Holliday off at the room. And, you know, Ike tells him, he says, quote, tell your consumptive friend, your Arizona Nightingale, he's a dead man tomorrow. And Wyatt looks at him and he says, don't you tangle with Doc Holliday. He'll kill you before you've begun, end quote. Ike looks at him and says, quote, get ready for a showdown. Now we're on October 26, 1881, the day of the shootout at the OK Corral. It's 11 a.m., and Wyatt and Virgil, they basically see Ike Clanton still drunk as fuck in the streets, and, you know, he's probably trying to sober up a little bit. They take him into custody after a little bit of a fight. Uh, Virgil ends up pistol-whipping Ike Clanton. Ike is brought into the court on a weapons charge. You know, he had been carrying a Winchester rifle and a pistol. Um, Wyatt also has words with uh, Tom McLowry uh, and pistol whips the shit out of him. So um, there was an ordinance in town when Virgil came around that, you know, there were no there were no weapons allowed in town. That was just the way it was. And these two uh, kept breaking the rules. So, you know, instead of shooting them, they would just pistol whip the shit out of them. So at 1.30 p.m., Ike is out of jail. He has his guns, okay, and he's around town looking for Doc. Now, Doc is asleep when Ike comes into the uh, Fly's boarding house looking for him, which is actually adjacent to the photography studio, which is right next to the alley where the shootout takes place, okay? Now, Doc is asleep, so obviously he doesn't find there. Kate notices that, you know, Ike Clanton's around looking for him, and she warns Doc, you know, via the landlady, pretty much. She, like, relays a message to the landlady and says, um, you know, says, hey, tell Ike Doc isn't here, you know, or that she wasn't sure where he was. So Ike Clanton's just like, all right, whatever, you know. Now, Big Nose Kate was visiting Doc at the time, okay, and um, Mrs. Fly, you know, told her that Clanton had been trying to find Holiday. They're up in the room. Kate tells Doc that Ike is out looking for him and that he's threatening to kill him again and all this other stuff. And Doc, according to Kate's account, Doc says, quote, if God will let me live long enough, he will see me, end quote. So he gets dressed, throws on a black suit with a light-colored linen shirt, a broad hat, a long gray overcoat, and he goes out and he meets up with the Earps, who have been pretty much all day long, all morning long, receiving reports from various townspeople, you know, that the cowboy gang is, is out gunning for him. They're looking for him. They want to kill him. 
So John Behan, the county sheriff, shows up and he says, hey, Ike Clanton and his crew are on Fremont Street talking gun talk. There are some reports that say Wyatt telling Doc, you know, on his arrival that he didn't need to get mixed up in what was about to happen. Probably more than likely because he wasn't officially a lawman, in which Doc uh, replied, quote, that is a hell of a thing for you to say to me, end quote. And that was pretty much, you know, assuming that it was because he was already involved so deep with the Earps that it didn't matter to him whether he was a lawman or not. He was already living on borrowed time. It should be noted that when Karen Holiday Tanner did write her book, she really did not make any mention of this, um, you know, little conversation. So, you know, you should know that. But there are other witnesses who did corroborate that. 2.30 p.m., the Earps and Doc decide to go confront the Cowboys, who are, like I said, in that alley um, about 10 feet away from the OK Corral. Because the shootout technically didn't happen at the Corral. And Virgil asks Sheriff Behan to go with them. And Behan literally looks at him, starts laughing, and says, quote, Hell, this is your fight, not mine. End quote. The next chain of events are from 30 days worth of testimony from preliminary hearings um, from a large number of witnesses and all of the people involved. And this is all stated by Justice of the Peace, Wells Spicer. Okay, so Doc and Virgil, they exchange walking stick and shotgun. Doc takes Virgil's shotgun. Virgil takes Doc's walking stick. Now, Holiday Tanner, um, like I had stated, the author of um, Doc Holiday, A Family Affair. Now, she seems to think that Virgil pretty much carried Doc's walking stick to appear more imposing, but more than likely, he probably carried it um, as a weapon, which, because a lot of historians feel that Virgil and Wyatt just intended to disarm the cowboys by pistol whipping them, and that they're, you know, the way that they actually approached that small lot would probably have been evidence of that, so that should be noted. Now, Doc carries the shotgun partially concealed beneath his uh, gray overcoat, and the foursome start walking towards the lot by the OK Corral. Now, the cowboys, uh, which included a now unarmed Ike Clanton, along with Billy Clanton, his brother, the McLowry brothers, Frank and Tom, and Billy Claiborne, now they were nearby. Now what they were doing there was they were actually waiting there for Doc um, because they were planning on ambushing him. You know, Doc and the Earps actually believe this, and most historians believe it as well, because Doc was staying at the adjoining boarding house, which was right next door. Right when they get uh, close by, um, Sheriff Behan runs over, and he claims that he disarmed the cowboys. The the Earps and Doc pretty much brush him off. They're like, whatever, dude, just get the fuck out of here. They didn't trust him anyway. They didn't think that he did disarm them. Um, and Virgil actually later suggested even if they did believe him, they were going over to make sure that they were disarmed. Now, as it turns out, you know, Sheriff Behan either didn't disarm them or he didn't di completely disarm them. Um, Billy Clanton and the McLowry brothers still had weapons on them. Now, this is one cool thing that I did find stated in several eyewitness accounts. As they are on their way to the OK Corral, witnesses said that the three Earp brothers were all dressed in black with firm, mean grimaces on their faces, while Doc was natally clad in gray and was whistling. Now, if you can picture that, these dudes are getting ready to head over to a shootout. Doc's dressed in gray, just whistling on his way there. I thought that was like, you know, personality wise, that was, that was just perfect for me. I just smiled when I read that. I was like, it's kick ass. Um, so when they actually get there, the Cowboys are really surprised because the Earps show up with Doc. And like I had said, they were planning on ambushing Doc. He was supposed to be alone. Okay, so Doc was there as pretty much armed backup. Now, he stood slightly behind the street with the shotgun. Um, he pretty much covered the flank. His job was to cover the side so that, you know, the cowboys couldn't come around the side or whatever. Now, you got to remember, this lot literally is 15 feet wide, okay? there It's a very confined area. 
And his job was basically to make sure that Virgil and Wyatt were not fired upon, you know, as they disarmed the clans and McClory's. Now, Virgil and Wyatt probably did not think the Cowboys would fire on them uh, with Doc and Morgan covering them in this manner because Morgan was actually on the other side covering the other flank. Virgil says, quote, throw up your hands. I intend to disarm you, end quote. Um, and obviously the Cowboys did not comply. Now, the shooting started when Billy Clanton and Frank McClory um, cocked their pistols. Now, two shots are fired initially and simultaneously. Now, apparently these shots are fired by Wyatt and Frank McClory. Um, some accounts do have Billy Clanton drawing first. Now, this is not really known who fired the first shot, but Doc's bullet was the first one to hit. Um, he hit... Tom McLaurie in the stomach with a double-barreled shotgun as he was reaching for a weapon in his saddle sheath. As McLaurie was pulling his gun, when Doc shot him, McLaurie pulled the trigger and a bullet went through Wyatt Earp's coattail. Now, Billy Claiborne, as soon as he hears the shots fired, he fucking takes off running. He's gone, okay? So, Doc ends up getting hit in the hip. Now, Kate later reported that um, his hip was only grazed by McLowry's bullet. Kate asked Doc if he was hurt, and he replied no. Um, she could si see, like, a small reddish welt uh, from the bullet. Uh, the Tombstone Nugget, the newspaper, also reported that Doc's skin was just grazed because the bullet hit his uh, pistol holster. So, at this point, Ike Clanton... He fucking panics. He throws his gun down and basically starts begging for his life. And Wyatt yells at him, quote, fight or get out like Claiborne, end quote. And he watched Ike Clanton straight up desert his brother Billy and he ran towards the door of the photography shop. Now, while he gets into the photography shop, Ike draws a fucking hidden gun from his back and he fires one more round towards Wyatt before he pretty much disappeared out of sight into hiding um the sound actually distracted Morgan enough so that Frank McLowry sent a bullet into Morgan's side so Morgan is now shot then by this time Doc tossed the shotgun and he had drawn his nickel plated pistols and he covers starts covering some ground uh to come face to face with uh Frank McLowry who was wounded at this point. Now Frank McLowry levels his pistol, looks right at Doc and says, quote, I got you now. And Doc looks at him and says, quote, You're a daisy if you have. And then he hurries up, draws his pistol, shoots Frank McLowry right behind the right ear. Um, at the same exact time, Morgan Earp fires a shot at Frank McLowry, which also hits him. Now, Billy Clanton fired at Virgil, but his shot went astray when he was hit with Morgan's shot through the rib cage. Um, some did claim that Doc may have shot at Ike as he fled, but he more than likely didn't. Um, according to eyewitness accounts and to Wyatt's account, indicate the only sh his only shots were at the McLowry brothers. Now, Billy Clanton, who's pretty much just wounded, he's pretty much dying, he starts firing blindly into the gun smoke around him, and he hits Virgil in the leg. Now, Wyatt responds, he walks up and just fills him full of bullets, just not even a hesitation. So all in all, the lawmen killed three of the cowboys during that gunfight. But the thing about it was, is Doc Holliday, being the sickest person who probably should have been bedridden, covering the flank actually covers more ground than anybody in this gunfight. He was constantly moving around, just covering everybody's fire which is fucking just awesome i thought that was so cool because this guy is literally on his damn deathbed for the last x amount of years but he's the one moving around the most making sure nobody else gets shot okay so you would think that this would be the end of it but it's not ike clanton ends up filing fucking murder charges and they did, like I had said, uh, Will Spicer, Justice of the Peace, had 30 days of preliminary hearings and where he heard witness testimony. He heard from everybody involved. And he ended up finding that the lawmen and Doc Holliday acted within their duty. Now, to Ike Clanton and the other cowboys, 
well, Spicer's findings really didn't mean shit to them, okay? Now, the aftermath of the OK Corral, you know, Virgil and Wyatt both believe that Sheriff Behan had pretty much betrayed them. Um, the minutes right before the OK Corral went down, um, you know, when he stated, hey, I, I have disarmed them, which he obviously didn't do. But I can tell you right now, if you think this is the end of Doc Holliday and the Cowboys and Tombstone, you're very much wrong. Although it is the end of this episode, I am unfortunately telling you there is going to be a part three. I tried to avoid it as much as I fucking could, but it was inevitable. This was too much information. I had to corroborate. I had to fact check. I had to combine all this shit. So there will be a part three. It will be out sooner than later, I promise you. I hope you guys all enjoyed it. Until then, see you on the flip side.